What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience, the podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. everyone. In honor of National Recovery Month, we thought we'd bring on our very own Tim Sinnott. He's the clinical director and he, coming up on 39 years Ooh. of sobriety, uh, was very excited to be able to come on and speak with all of us today. So just a little history on Tim. He has uh, several advanced degrees from the University of San Francisco a Doctor of Education in Counseling and Educational Psychology, and a Master of Arts in Counseling Psychology, emphasis in Marital and Family Therapy, Rutgers University Center of Alcohol Studies, a Certificate Summer School of Alcohol Studies, and the University of California, Santa Cruz, Certificate in Alcohol Studies, Advanced Counselor Training Program, and a strong history of directing recovery facilities. Tim is a capable speaker and a leader in addiction and treatment services. Tim also has an extensive marriage and family counseling knowledge and prides himself on his ability to connect with clients and professionals on an individual basis. Welcome, Tim. Welcome, Tim. Well, thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Wow, what a bio. I, I, could, I, I basically read for 10 minutes just your bio there. <laughs> Well, you know, if you stick around long enough and you keep showing up, all these things come to you. So, I love that. Very humble. And I was going to say, we forgot to mention to Tim, uh, well, not to Tim, but I guess to the audience, on Tim's bio, it should also say that he's one of our great friends. <laughs> well, thank you. And that is of true. Course. I'm uh, very happy to be um, associated with Elevate. Um, its philosophy is uh, are things that I believed in for many years that I believe are important to recovery. So it's nice to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk. <laughs> awesome. And we you sure, that. yeah, and you sure do, Tim. So the thing that I wanted to ask you, because I'm just curious myself, is I know that you worked at a treatment center, Eric Clapton's treatment center. What was that whole experience like? It, so that was, uh, you know, one of the highlights of my career, for sure. Um, I think, um, you know, I always say I grew the most professionally. I worked at Dominican Hospital for 15 years, and I think I really grew up as a uh, clinician and as a manager and administrator there. I learned a tremendous amount working there. Um, and then probably... You know, the most pleasant job was probably Crossroads because I got to live and work in Antigua for almost seven years. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a bad time. Uh, and it was a wonderful experience. You know, that's a, a great treatment program, too. I think they're still closed because of the uh, COVID-19 crisis. Um, but hopefully they'll be opening up again. They're doing, you know, video, virtual uh, outpatient as best they can. Um, but, you know, uh, that's one great thing about Elevate, too, is that, you know, we just kept pumping along. And, uh, you know, that's really satisfying to see that um, we rose to the occasion and we didn't miss a beat and we're still helping people every day. 
Yeah, we as staff often talk about, uh, you know, how fortunate we are to be able to come into the office as essential workers and be able to continue to help people and in fact help more people now than we uh, could say have ever been able to help. And it's very satisfying that we have such a, an ability to continue to give in this manner. It is, I couldn't it agree is, more. You know, um, naturally, alcohol and drug problems are not going away. They're only increasing. Um, one of my big concerns is um, the amount of people that are relapsing. It's real hard to get any concrete data on it, but the right. anecdotal data is that, you know, relapses are up around 20%. And the even worse thing about that is that uh, people are relapsing and overdosing and dying. Uh, and that, that is really a problem. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. And it was just uh, International Overdose Day just a couple of days ago. And exactly. I, think, I think we showed a lot of support for that day and brought a, brought a lot of attention to the issue. Because, yeah, mm -hmm. like you were saying, during during the times that it is right now, it's, it's difficult for people trying to get into recovery, people that are in recovery and even people in long-term recovery, it's been difficult. Correct. Um, you know, in Santa Cruz here, um, if you're, uh, a person that goes to meetings, there haven't been any in-person meetings in six months. Um, and I think what we're seeing with some of the overdoses is uh, that people, you know, cannot connect in person. There aren't any smart meetings. There aren't any refuge meetings. There aren't any 12-step mm -hmm. meetings. Um, so you have to go to uh, Zoom, you know, which is a great alternative. But for people newer in recovery, um, it doesn't seem to be catching on as much. Whenever I go to a Zoom meeting, everybody's my age, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which you could say is in you know an older adult um yeah. <laughs> so we're missing the opportunity to you know to grab the the 20 people in the 20s and 30s um and again unfortunately that's where we're seeing a lot of the overdoses well and and i can see it even in people who have long-term sobriety uh being you know in certain areas where where the covid was bad they're very strictly sheltered in place and their mental health although maybe they haven't used yet but their mental health is suffering and you can see it in them they're they're depressed they're sad they're separated it's really doing mm -hmm. a number on people and then we're also seeing a huge rise in people that never even had a problem are suddenly now coping with a problem because they were sheltered in place and all they you know they just started drinking every day they lost their jobs they're dealing with so much crisis that mm -hmm. I, I am just wondering what the heck, you know, a year from now is going to look like, like, you know, the result from all of this is going to really play out. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like, like we started with, it's great that uh, we're open every day and helping people and uh, available. And, you know, I think it really is a testament to elevate uh, that we can do that. Um, you know, it takes leadership, it takes a good team, uh, and it takes passion and dedication to be able to do that. And we have those ingredients. Um, so that's, you know, that's a great thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And what I was thinking too, kind of 
as we're we're painting the context of the modern time and what is going on currently it's what what do we think some of the solutions are you know i know tim you have a background in positive psychology and that's something you talk a lot about where where would positive psychology fit into to now to this time like how could we use that as a, a solution to or at least a tool for what's going on sure sure um so positive psychology is based on using people's strengths and increasing people's well-being right you know for decades psychology focused on uh dysfunction and uh, a, a disease model if you will so positive psychology which came along in the early 2000s um wanted to shift that so that we could treat or help everybody and not just people who had mental disorders um so the shift has been on to um to work with what are people's strengths and that there's a strength assessment uh inventory people can take to identify their key strengths and it also identifies their weaknesses too so what we can do is bring those weaknesses up uh to help the person the whole person and to increase their well-being um it also uh focuses on connection you know a big part of uh recovery and a big part of happiness and well-being is our connection to other people and you know everybody these days talks about the importance of connection and the antidote the uh for substance use disorders is connection to other people so that's kind of why i mentioned the meetings in in the beginning that um you know it's important that people in recovery connect with other people in recovery and that's really part of the message of recovery month too is that uh people in recovery need to connect with people in long term recovery mm-hmm. so they have some role models mentors who can help them with the difficulties that come up especially when you're uh you know in your first couple of years of recovery It's, you know you think you're the only one that experiences those and you're not so you can have somebody that can help guide you through them drug overdoses have become the number one uh accidental dr- uh death category in the US um which is really scary yeah um you know there's i think the latest data i heard is 72,000 people a year uh die from uh drug overdoses that comes out mm-hmm. to like a little less than 100 a day which comes out to you know like what 6 an hour 7 an hour or something um yeah That's and I would like say so those scary. numbers are even higher than what's being reported because I I would doubt go. that we have any current numbers from the last 6 months. I would definitely yep. challenge that. Yeah. We number. don't. I I don't think we do. I think you're absolutely right. Um yeah. So, you know, these are definitely uh crisis times and we need to step up to the plate and do the best that we can. Of course, and I think it it all starts from putting out messages like this and having places like Elevate open and you know encouraging mm-hmm. people to go to Zoom meetings even though they may not be as comfortable as what you're used to and you know That's I think right. it's a perfect time for you know recovery month to just kind of advocate like you said Tim recovery works you know and and we need to keep advocating 
for people trying so that they get it and that we can continue to get help and continue to help people. And, you know, it's just a message I support. Yeah. Yeah. And right we've on. Gotta, we've got to reach out, you know, and be available and offer help to anybody and everybody. And I think that's why we've been putting out so much, uh, promos. I've been going, I've been trying to put myself out there more, doing more podcasts, just putting more and more and more mm-hmm. stuff out there so that, you know, A, we can take the stigma off of drug and alcohol abuse so that people aren't afraid or embarrassed to admit they have a problem. And B, to get people, if they see somebody struggling, get in there and help them. Like, do what it takes to help this person. They're a drowning person. Throw them a ring. You see what's happening. Don't turn your back. Exactly. Exactly. People need that connection because if the worst thing that can happen to an alcoholic or an addict is to isolate and be alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we're kind of encouraged to not to do that, but to really limit our, you know, interaction contacts with people. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Have, um, how have, how has that affected you, Tim, or how have you been able to maybe outcreate that, especially, you know, you're in long-term recovery, but I know mm-hmm. we've spoken with TJ Woodward, who is in long-term recovery, and he mentioned too, he's like, hey, I'm not going to admit that this hasn't been difficult or there's been hard days or easier days, but I kind of wanted mm-hmm. to get a feel from you too on how, how you've dealt with the, you know, maybe the forced isolation or just COVID right. in general. Well, you know, I'm kind of pretty lucky that, uh, as, um, when I lived in Antigua, the, the guy that hired me, the people that hired me said, you know, to live here and work here, you have to be pretty comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isolated <laughs> place I, or what? <laughs> exactly. And I thought, hmm, what the heck's he saying, you know? Um, <laughs> but I realized yeah, to not only live there, to last there six or seven years, because most people in the state a year or two and left, um, is that you do have to be, you know, okay with yourself, so to speak. Um, but what really helped me is, you know, I kind of go along with uh, the importance of a holistic approach to recovery. So after about a month or so, I started saying, you know, I got to do something. Otherwise, I'm going to go nuts. So I started <laughs> focusing uh, on my diet and exercise more than I usually do. And... Um, you know, I used to be a runner. I was a runner for years. And then I uh, got interested in going to the gym, actually in Antigua, because it was too hot to run uh, <laughs> every day. And, um, you know, I got into CrossFit for a while, too. But um, I was told I shouldn't be, you know, uh, doing a lot of those things uh, by my doctor. So anyway, I got into power walking. So I'm walking, uh, you know, seven to eight miles a day. And I started focusing on my diet and I've lost uh, 20 pounds. And, um, you know, feel really great. So, and I started doing some Zoom meetings. I got invited by people to do Zoom meetings in Europe and stuff. And I thought, well, that'll that'll protect my anonymity if I was worried about it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. no one will know. (laughs) But it was so cool to see, you know, people from all over the world, um, you know, dealing with things. And with the COVID thing, it's the same thing. It's the isolation and the lack of connection and, um, 
Yeah, and how that's uh, affecting people's recovery and how they just like to go out to coffee with somebody or things like that. So one other thing, engagement, because, you know, connection is kind of like engagement. You have to be engaged with other people and you got to be engaged with your life so that, you know, you're constantly um, achieving, moving along uh, and trying to not get stuck. And if you do get stuck, you know, get unstuck. Um, so that's really important too. And a lot of the concepts in positive psychology are kind of things that we've known for a long time, but have finally been validated by science and research. You know, the importance of gratitude, uh, the importance of forgiveness. Uh, you know, those things um, are really important to uh, to help us, you know, if we're walking around with an attitude and we're angry and we're resentful for other people for all the things they did to us. It's going to be really hard to stay clean and sober. So, so it really fits in well. And I'm actually thinking of doing a workshop for the uh, California association of um, the consortium of uh, programs and professionals in October on the positive psychology of recovery and how, uh, the concept and the tools can really help people, especially uh, during COVID-19 when we got to dig down a little bit deeper. That's exactly what I was thinking as you were saying this, because there, people are being hit with so many different issues uh, to no one's fault of their own, but they're feeling angry and they're feeling, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that these things were done to them. They were doing all the right things and then their business got shut down or they got sheltered in place and they lost all their friends. So, I think this is a perfect time to really like, let's try to hit home with, let's look at, you know, the glass being half full. What's the silver lining here? What can we take out of this? Or what opportunity can we make for ourselves out of these really not great situations? And when you're in the middle of it, it's difficult to see that because you're just, your emotions are very, you know, angry and upset and sad. And so it's like really important for us to utilize the positive psychology to bring people up where they could start looking at those things to be positive about. Because there is things out there. You do just kind of got to look for them. Yep. Absolutely. And you know, we're, we're into such a blame game mentality in our culture right now. Um, that it really, uh, you know, when I first got into recovery, I was taught self-responsibility. I got to be responsible for my actions and for my recovery. And what we're seeing all around us is, well, I don't want to take responsibility. I want to blame somebody else. <laughs> and, That's true. Um, you know, we got to get back to basics here. Um, we're the architect of our well-being, and it's something we can work on every day. I love that. That line right there was perfect. The architect of our own well-being. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and then it makes me, you know, bring up Tim. So mm -hmm. we we got you to work for us gosh, almost five years ago, like right when yeah. Elevate was beginning. And that was one of the things why you wanted to come work for us and why we loved having you. And we were already employing without even realizing that we were employing was positive psychology in our program and accountability in our program and those sorts of things, because you'd started working for other programs that didn't maybe have these same precepts. Good point, Angie. That's true. Um, 
And it was just about five years ago. Uh, time flies when we're having fun, huh? Uh, <laughs> when we're sober, it flies, huh? It does fly. You know, um, I've been working in this profession for over 35 years. And um, what I intrigued me about Elevate was that we actually did the things uh, that we said that we say we do. And that... <laughs> A lot of other programs say they do things, and uh, often they really don't. Um, so that's one of the things I like. You know, let's just take mindfulness for an example. I've worked at places where there's scheduled meditation every morning, and what it was was the clients had to go to a room for a gazebo and meditate for a half hour, and it was unsupervised. And they'd be out there smoking cigarettes and talking. Oh, man. Yeah, it was just bizarre. Bizarro. Um, (laughs) Unaffective. You know, here we have uh, concepts that we teach. We have a curriculum on mindfulness that the staff is trained in. um, And we change uh, the atmosphere a lot if we can so that it's not always just the same place. and you know it's just really beneficial and we look when we look at our satisfaction surveys uh it's always not always but it's often pointed out as how much people liked mindfulness and how much they got out of it uh just one other example of a thing that we do that a lot of places say they do and they really don't and this isn't to bash places just to talk about how we do what we say we're going to do which is a good point (laughs) yeah is fitness you know we really believe in fitness um and we walk the walk and we talk the talk so there's fitness uh you know we have our own gym we don't take clients out and shuffle them off to another place and let them roam around and do whatever they want to do in the gym you know we have structured uh fitness on a daily basis and um and again that's something that really pays off and it's offered to the staff. I mean, what a bonus. Um, Huge and bonus. imagine how empowering it is for the clients to see the staff working out, you know, believing in what they're teaching. Um, you know, doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. We often have the clients watching us cause they, cause the staff class goes before both the client classes. So they like to come get a little preview of what they got coming <laughs> And surprising, they yeah. all still show up. <laughs> um, you know, it is it is an amazing benefit that we can offer our staff because you know and I know, mm-hmm. of course, Alice knows, just overall health and well-being is the key to success. When you feel better physically, you feel better in life. And so that's why, you know, exercise was so important for us to implement so that people feel better physically, especially after detoxing off of drugs and alcohol for, you know, whatever amount of time they've been on them. So the Mm -hmm. exercise and the good eating has to be a cornerstone of their overall good health. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the truth. And especially even too, with the mindfulness is, you know, we, Mm -hmm. we have the staff, obviously right now we can't have too many people coming in, but besides that, when we're practicing mindfulness and we have practitioners coming up here and and teaching and evolving the meditation and the mindfulness practice, which is forever changing as well. And, you know, we've had book clubs with trauma sensitive mindfulness, you know, and, and, and I, I guess what I'm trying to paint too, is that we, we are walking the walk 
and talking the talk and, and the therapeutic value that has or the precedent that that sets to the clients is, is hard to, it's, I wouldn't say it's hard to describe, but the effect that it has is, is very large to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when you think of those two things, mindfulness and uh, physical exercise, you know, a lot of the current literature and the research being done uh, with the National Institute on Drug Abuse and the uh, Substance and Mental Health Administration is on what they call brain disease. And I know we don't use that terminology, but if you think about it, exercise and mindfulness both go to triggering your brain in a positive direction. Um, and that's really important. It helps you to focus on your well-being. It helps you to focus on optimism. Uh, it teaches you persistence and resilience and that you can overcome things. So it just helps you on so many different levels, uh, you know, especially when you return back and start living your life in recovery. So it's, it's just so powerful. Well, and it's a creation of a healthy habit because without, mm -hmm. you know, all the time and energy expended on using or trying to get high or covering up the lies, if they can put it in something that's beneficial between mindfulness and also exercise, then everything else will go okay. You know, it's really important to mm -hmm. sort of fill that gap and learn how to live without, uh, for a lot of people, not knowing how to live sober without wasting all their time doing all that other stuff. They've got to like sort of fill the, fill the gaps of time. Right. Really good point, Angie, because there's what they call symptom substitution. So part of getting high is the whole ritual of it. You know, it takes mm -hmm. time to go and cop. It takes time to get back to where you're going to use, to preparing what you're going to use, to to using, to coming down, to doing it all over again. So doing these things is really creating structure in people's lives. Really important. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I really like what we're talking about here because it's important. And I guess the question that came up for me, Tim, is what is your like favorite portion of Elevate? Like what is what do you like most about the program? If you were to um, name one thing, if that right. was possible. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, I what I think is one of the most important things is the education component. That's another thing that a lot of programs talk about is how they do education. And they do education, but it's usually whatever the... <clears throat> educator, the counselor, the case manager is going to talk about that day. Um, there isn't often a defined curriculum. Often there isn't even a monthly topic, le lecture mm -hmm. topic of the day, you know, where we have a four-phase curriculum that's, uh, you know, very successful. Uh, we have booklets to go with it. We have study groups um you know it's a it's a whole different way that education is done usually in treatment and i just find it really impressive and that's the i really think that's another thing that helps us to really stand out yeah i couldn't agree more i'm glad uh, you pointed that out tim because that is that is super important 
you know, I know we'll have episodes coming where we kind of dissect the education component a little bit more, but I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that you pinpointed that because the amount of time that the clients get and the, the, the time that they get to look at all of that is also a whole mm-hmm. bunch of just self-reflection where we're not, we're not answering it, it for them, but we're providing the venue for them to explore on like a structured path. Yeah. Um, and that's what we need. <laughs> and again, you know, if we look at our satisfaction surveys, uh, people often start out thinking, oh, I don't need to do this. You know, I have a diploma or a degree or an advanced degree, and I'm not going to sit here and do this for two hours a day. <laughs> um, and then they finally start seeing it. You know, the aha moment happens and um, and they get into it. And it's, it's commented on... Uh, one of the values of the program. Yeah, it, I, I love the education part of the program. That's definitely like one of my very favorite parts. And, you know, at, at the same time, it's, it's for most people, but it's not for everybody. And that's why, mm-hmm. you know, we also have teams, we have one-on-one counseling, we have experiential, we have so sure. many different avenues that might more meet the person where they're at. You know, some people come in and their education level is a little lower and it's difficult for them to be in that room trying to read, trying to write. And so they will get more benefit out of the other parts of the program where it's more hands-on, it's more communication, it's more of a, a different kind of learning. So I think that's, that's special and unique with Elevate too, is we're not all in on one way of trying to tackle the addiction. Right. Yeah, you know, a lot of people believe the real nuts and bolts of treatment is uh, groups. And, you know, we we call them blocks. Um, you know, right, the right, team yeah. block, we have experiential block. And, uh, you know, that is definitely important so that um, their peers can give them honest feedback on uh, what they see. Not what's coming out of their mouth, but what they see. Yeah, no, <laughs> of course. hopefully... What's coming out of their mouth is what they're seeing. But when it's not, you know, who better to call somebody on than another person in treatment saying, hey, you know, that that doesn't seem to fit. <laughs> That's a great point, too, Tim. And Tim, I had a question for you, if you have time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was a joke. But my question for you is, so you've been a one-on-one counselor here as well. You've had your own caseload. You're one-on-one therapist, actually. But mm-hmm. what is your favorite topic or what is like your favorite area to address when you're working with a client? Like, is there one that you favor more than another? Uh, gosh, you know, I, I hope this doesn't sound too trite, uh, but <laughs> I really okay. have uh, come, you know, to a point over the years, um, it's really what what needs to be addressed for them, what they need to address. So it's really pretty individualized. You know, I probably years ago, when I would have said, you know, coping skills, somebody needs yeah. to learn <laughs> coping skills or they need relapse prevention. But, you know, I really think you have to see what's going on with the person and address that. Um, if that's what, needs addressing you know lots of times the person will want to address something and you just have to say well you know i think we need to go with this for for a while here 
Um, but often, you know, they're, uh, you know, and that's where the treatment plan is so important. What's been identified on the treatment plan? And what, what are their goals? What do they want to happen? One thing I like to ask people is you're going to be here at Elevate for, say, 60, 90 days. When you leave here, what do you want to have accomplished and what do you want to take with you into your new clean and sober life? And, um, you know, they'll give me some answers and stuff. And then I'll say, okay, what I want you to do this week is work on that. Write it in a new journal and bring it back and we'll talk about it next week. So that um, besides the treatment plan, we have something that's really concrete for them that's really even more individualized. Um, and we can start working towards it because we got the time to get there. And then we can check in on it as they're moving along through treatment and see if we're getting any closer or are we getting off track mm -hmm. or what yeah. has come up since then that that's important to you now. So it's kind of like reassessing the treatment plan all the time in a way. Absolutely. Well, that's a, that's a beautiful answer, Tim. And I'm glad that you said that because it just paints the picture of it's not really about me, you know? And so mm -hmm. I, you know, I know for me, and that's probably the reason that I asked, but one of my favorite topics, right, is to, is relapse prevention. So like sure. when a client and, and I start talking about that, I, I just find myself just super invested. Not that I'm not invested at other times, like you said, but I think that was why I asked you as well, because I kind of have like that one topic that just gets me so fired up and I don't know why. Um, so I guess I was, yeah. you know, your answer makes great sense too, and I loved it. Well, thanks. Well, you know, there's aren't too many more things more important than relapse prevention. So, yeah, I guess that's a good point, right? <laughs> Especially if the goal is sobriety <laughs> and not yeah. relapsing. Um, you, yeah, that's you know, a good to, point, Tim. <laughs> to stay on that for a second, that's what I think COVID is bringing up for us. Also, is um, we really need some focus on short-term uh, stability, short-term relapse prevention to help get people through this because the resources, uh, you know, going back out in the world is really different now than, you know, than it has it been be. when people have left treatment. Yeah. So we really need, um, you know, to, to promote that awareness for people and have them have a concrete plan and have them calling into aftercare uh, every week, because uh, it's, you know, it's really vital. What we're seeing with the, not only the increases in the overdose, with the deaths is, you know, people are leaving and using the amounts that they were using before they came in and they're overdosing because they don't yeah. have that tolerance anymore and their body can't handle it. Um, and, you know, they think they can just use once or twice and get away with it and, you know, they die. It's, it's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. Mentally, uh, they think they're starting over, but, um, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's not a good place and you're right. We we've unfortunately been seeing that, um, and then throw in the stronger drugs of fentanyl and mm -hmm. stuff that's going around. You, yeah. You exactly. never know. You never know when that one time, it can even be one time and one thing and one pill and that's all it took. So that's it's why all it takes. Yeah. Relapse prevention is, is more important than ever because that just one time could be the time that you don't get to come back from. Oh, absolutely. So 
to stick with that for one more minute, uh, that's another thing we do different. People will do four relapse plans when they're with us. We call them exit strategies. But as they move from phase to phase, they do that exit strategy, which is just a relapse prevention plan. And they all build on each other. So when it comes time to do the final one, um, you know, it's not like a brand new topic or it's not something they got to do the day before they leave. It's something they've been working on the whole time. Yeah, great point. Yeah, that's definitely effective. And uh, the final one that they do is a 52-page packet. <laughs> pretty pretty so, comprehensive. Yeah, so, you it's know, not an afterthought. <laughs> right. This is probably a good point to mention that uh, we won an award. Uh, oh, just about a year ago. Okay. Um, we did do yeah. that, yes. We and did. You, we, were, we got to fly <laughs> you out to go receive it, and you did an amazing job. We were so happy that you were the one that got it. It was very short well, notice, you. and you immediately dropped everything and got on a plane and went out there and represented us so well. Well, thanks. It was my pleasure. Um, so we um, were uh, awarded a recognition for having the second best treatment outcomes in the country by the VISTA Research Group, which is a research group that studies outcomes from treatment centers all over the country. Um, and, you know, it's just a real testimony to the work that we do uh, that it's, you know, it's taking hold. I think uh, what they found was 46% of our clients uh, we're still in recovery. And, um, you know, we came in second. The people that came in first, unfortunately, I heard have gone out of business. Oh, so it's terrible. It is terrible. And that's why earlier in the podcast here, I said how important it is that, you know, we have the leadership and the structure because if you don't have that, you can't provide good treatment. So, you know, it's kind of, we're coming into football season. It's kind of like having a Super <laughs> thank, Bowl thank team. Thank goodness. <laughs> you got to have the organization. You got to have the coaches. You got to have the players. You know, you got to have all that. And it all's got to be running on good cylinders. Uh, so we get that synergy and have a great program going. Yeah, So absolutely. I think getting that Vista Research Group Award uh, is quite significant. And as long as we're on that, I'll just go to... Uh, and a, <laughs> You're on a roll an award. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Well, it's a recognition too. Newsweek just published the top uh, treatment centers in the country. Uh, a group called Statistica Inc., uh, another research group that uh, you know measures effectiveness and statistical information on treatment centers around the country. Uh, in the state of California, we came in number 12 as uh, wow. what's considered, you know, the highest quality treatment centers in the state. And yeah, what there we go. Both those things signify to me as Angie started off, you know, five years ago, we weren't on probably any list for anything like that. And and look at, uh, you know, how far we've come. It's uh, it's incredible and a real a testament again to all the work that everybody do does 
Yeah. Yeah, thank that you, feels Tim. good, Tim. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's appropriate to highlight those, you know, because we put a lot of hard work into in, into getting those results, which we can make measurable to to show the public or to uh, receive recognition. And, you know, like yeah. we all know in this room, it's not easy work, but helping well, people, you know, 50% of people get sober, that's unheard of. And that's amazing. And, you know, it's Recovery Works Month. So this just validates that recovery does work if you work it. Yes, it does. Yeah, the cool thing about that Newsweek one is we didn't even know who they were asking and how they came up with this. So that kind of came as a surprise. And at first I was like, 12, why aren't we in the top three? But if you look at (laughs) it, California probably has more rehabs in just the state of California than like the whole central amount of the United States combined. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of rehabs. In yeah. California. We're saturated. Yes. Yeah, we're Which saturated is good out and here. bad. So, so to be number 12 in California is pretty great. And also with Vista research, I mean, we weren't expecting the award, but that's that third party outcome that we started almost from day one, because we were truly interested in, well, what is mm-hmm. the results of the work that we do? What can we fine tune? What can we fix and have this independent person you know, looking at our materials. So they start talking with our clients from the point that uh, they come down from detox and our clients will fill out weekly surveys, how they're doing when they get here. And then they continue to work with this company to say how they're doing after they leave. So that one is a neat validation in a totally different way too, because it tracks them through the program and then after they leave. And for Vista, they, they, well, all the companies they work for, for us to know that we've got you know, at this point, the number one best statistics of everybody, it is a pretty big honor. It's awesome. And they're, you know, they're really cool people too. They really have a passion for what they're doing. Absolutely. Well, Tim, you've been absolutely one of my very favorite speakers. I briefly talked about this, uh, just a little blip in the beginning, but I really want to take a moment to acknowledge you and the 39 years of sobriety you're going to have coming up in the next two weeks. That is a huge milestone. Um, You are an example to myself and everybody who works for us, as well as all the clients and families that you help as well. And we are so appreciative to have you as part of our team. You were the perfect missing piece of our puzzle. And I'm so grateful for all the time that you've spent with us. And we are very fortunate to have you with us. Well, gosh, thanks. Thanks a million. I'm really uh, happy to, to be part of the team, you know. I agree with what Angie said, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and well, I, I, and more importantly, I miss you oh, and I'm excited to see same. you. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Thanks guys. Thanks very much. And yeah, of course. Keep up the good work. Huh? Hey, we will. We're going to, we're going to keep getting after it, Tim. Yeah. Rain or shine, <laughs> COVID or no COVID, <laughs> fires or no fires. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.